So really, how do we bring these policies? So it's an initiative to try and create national platforms in all the countries and bring consultation, bring people together, people who care about security of Latin, particularly for women and girls, and ask, how can we make it a reality for women and girls, particularly those ones who are living in the slums, those ones who are living in pre-urban areas, those ones who are living in the rural areas, how do we make it a reality? Building a successful real estate career requires you to adapt, pivot, and constantly master new skills. We're Katie and Daniel Steinfeld. We've built our own innovative brokerage, and in this podcast, we've assembled actionable tips and strategies that you can implement to take your business to its maximum potential. It's time to level up. Level up. Okay, welcome to a special, special episode of Level Up. I'm Daniel, I'm here with Katie, and we are thrilled today to be joined by Esther Moira Moiru. I got it, right? You did very well. Fantastic. And Katie's going to tell you a little bit about all of the awesome work that she does. Yeah, so first of all, Esther is joining us from Nairobi, which thank you so much. I know this is the end of your day on a Friday, so we're, we're, uh, we're very cognizant of your time, and we really appreciate you taking the time to join us today. So Esther is a global women's land rights manager with the International Land Coalition and a key member of the Stand for Her Land campaign. And when I was, uh, we, you know, we wanted to do something for International Women's Day, so when we saw this campaign and and, you know, all of your involvement, it was just so inspirational. So we definitely wanted to learn more. And hopefully uh, we can inspire everybody that is listening to want to help and want to learn as much as possible about this important initiative. Um, she, Esther is also a gender and development expert with over 20 years of experience, and she is passionate about the empowerment of women living in poverty and margins of development to exercise and claim their human rights. So thank you, Esther. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much, Katie and Daniel. Yes, I'm so privileged to be on the show today. Uh, well, it's our pleasure to have you, and it's not every day we're able to have a conversation right across the globe with somebody, so this is exciting that uh, technology lets us do this like this, so it's it's great. That's right. Yeah, so um, maybe we can start with, a, I mean, I know I gave a little bit of an introduction about yourself, but do you want to add a little bit about what kind of got you started in these roles? Yeah, so, so in the last 25 years... Um, my my work has been on uh, making sure that the priorities needs of the women who live in poverty is at the center of uh, the development discourse. So majorly making sure that um, when we talk about development agenda, it takes cognizant that it is not just about looking at poor people because poor people don't exist is that people live in poverty and so the, the development agenda start to be cognizant in looking at the environment where people who are marginalized live 
and start to address that. So that's really what I focus on. The second part of my focus is, is one statement that I, I love very much. It says, nothing for us, about us, without us. So if we really want to empower women who are living in poverty, often we will call them either grassroots women or slum women or rural women. If we want to empower them, it's so essential that we empower them to have their voice and their own agency so that they are able to voice and tell what they consider to be the change that they want. And the third point is, is acknowledgement that these women don't come empty-hearted. They, every day of their lives, they are investing in making sure that they are improving their own lives, the lives of their members of the households, and they are also improving the, 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 the lives of the neighbors around them, the community, meaning they come with a lot of experiences, with skills, and they come with expertise. And therefore, whenever we want to make change to transform development, it's so important we take account these skills, their experiences, and what they are expertise. And so that's been my life. So I come, uh, so I founded an organization 25 years ago. Uh, I went to Beijing when I was very young. I was buried 26 years. So I was perhaps the youngest people that was why in the Beijing conference in 1995. And therefore for me, for me this year and last year uh, as such, um, they bring very great memories in my lives because I had just completed university like four years before, no, six years before the conference. And I had gotten a job to as a community development officer. But besides that, I had spent my time working with the women movement as a young uh, woman at the university. So I was clear that women in Kenya, women in Africa, women globally were preparing to go for a major global conference. That is in 1995. So because I was aware of that, so I tried to balance my employment and really following the discussion and participating in the preparatory processes that the women in Kenya were having to be able to go and present the country in Beijing, China. And so, and because I was very active, of course, I was young, I was agile. Uh, I lived poverty throughout my life. Uh, I was a house help was, when I was growing up. I did a lot of manual laborers in people's uh, homestead who were wealthy. That's how I earned my life and me and my siblings. So for me to realize that there was this big conference that was coming up to discuss about how to deal with the poverty, of course, it was personal. And so I was putting so much effort to become, uh, to write reports, to photocopy papers as the women were preparing. And I think 
they found me a very good uh, tool to take to Beijing so that I can go and help in administrative work. So I actually went there to support as a secretariat person. And it was, it was a privilege because then I got this ticket, a free ticket to go to China. I had never traveled, was, was, was really for me a moment that was changing my life. And so when I went there, and, 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 and of course, most of the people who were going to China were the likes of the Professor Wangari Mathai. And she was a flag bearer, one of the flag bearers of the work in Kenya. And so I was tasked with the work to make sure that the time she's coming to do her press conferences, her tables are all set, that I was going to record the key points. And of course, I was going to give feedback to the Kenyan delegation on how the Kenyan women were doing. And I did it and I was enjoying, I was learning a lot. But um, inside all those conference rooms, of course, I could tell all these people who were speaking were all high ed. And I could tell they were talking about poverty, but clearly very few of them were living in poverty. And remember, I've come from poverty. And I happened to go to a tent. It was in the NGO space in China where the Beijing conference was happening. And there were these women that they all looked like my own mother and like the village women in my rural home. And they were talking, they were in this tent, they were not, they didn't have the budgets to go to this big boardroom. And I was like, okay, this is where the world needs to be. Every woman who lives in poverty needs to be here. And so when I went back, that was 1995 in August, I started telling the story of these women that I saw. And I had taken their address, that time I didn't have an email address, I wrote them a letter and I think I said, I want to make sure that women in Kenya also have an opportunity to be going to such events and talk about themselves. And so that's why I realized they are called Groots International. And so I started Groots Kenya. So Groots Kenya has been in existence for 25 years. And all we do, I'm sure you can look at it, all we do or what the organization has done for 25 years is, is to be able to really empower grassroots women to have their voice and agency. And uh, I made a decision uh, like uh, five years ago that it was time up for me and to step aside and just hand over the leadership to young other women and so I, I left the organization and I am now a consultant in development work and my current work is as a global women's lad rights manager for the International Lad Coalition. So the International Lad Coalition again looks at one specific area of advancing humanity and it's making this the lad sector to be people-centered, so that when you're talking about securing Latina for people, that you are making sure that the people are at the center. So it's really a part of what I used to do. And, and then, of course, uh, so this is what I do. And we are members of the Stand for Halad campaign. So the Stand for Halad campaign is a global initiative. It has different membership. International Ad Coalition or ILC, the organization that I'm currently serving, 
is a member. We have World Bank. We have LADESA. LADESA is actually the secretariat. We have the Habitat for Humanity. We have the Huayru Commission. We have uh, in, uh, International Resource Center. So those are the members of the Stand for Halad campaign. And the purpose of the Stand for Halad campaign is acknowledging that since the 1995 conference, many governments have advanced in putting in place legal framework, they have advanced in putting policies. But if you carefully unpack and, and, and remove the shells, you realize nothing much has changed in the lives of the women. So violence against women is still at the highest level. Poverty in the household is at the highest level. And paid care that women do is the, uh, at the highest level. Equal pay for equal work does not necessarily happen. Secure land tenure for women is a melange as it is if we continue the way we are going. But yes, we have so much good policies and so much legal framework. So this Stand for Halat campaign is asking ourselves, what will we do to bridge the gap between the policy and the practice on the ground? So really, how do we bring these policies? So it's an initiative to try and create national platforms in all the countries and bring consultation, bring people together, people who care about security of Latin, particularly for women and girls, and ask how can we make it a reality for women and girls, particularly those ones who are living in the slums, those ones who are living in pre-urban areas, those ones who are living in the rural areas, how do we make it a reality? So that is the purpose of the campaign. And between January, February, March, and April, the Stand for Halat campaign uh, is in the hands of the International Lad Coalition. So we are the one that is uh, coordinating the activities. And then it happens to be me, <laughs> who is also coordinating the Stand for Halat campaign. I hope that gives you yeah. a synopsis of what I do. Yeah, well, it, it lends itself to, we could have a five-hour conversation today if we wanted to, but that's, that's yeah. great. It's such, it's such great work that you have done and that you continue to do now, and I think we both have all kinds of questions about it. It's, uh, yes. yeah. So, I mean, one thing I'm curious about, and I don't want to bounce too much between Stand for Her Land and the work that you have done in the past, but you talked about you know, giving a voice and, and, and empowering women to be able to speak for themselves, right? Rather than other people speaking for them. Absolutely. A big focus with Stand for Her Land especially is part of the approach that you take allowing women to tell their personal stories as part of the campaign and, and you telling it on their behalf and then also bringing the women themselves to the forefront? Absolutely. Yes. So... So, so the way the Stand Lad campaign do is investing in national platforms where the, the focus, the large focus is bringing together women's lad rights organization, 
that advocates but making sure that women even if it's in civil society organizations it is the women that are creating this leadership and making sure that these women can work together and ask themselves where is it that our country has lost it why is it that we have so because each country is so different in its own context and in its own development space that it is in so having national platform and engaging with these people who are always advocating and investing in this work and giving them a chance to 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 stand and reflect and ask where have we come from why did we get where we are what kind of tools policies legal framework institutional frameworks exist in our country why is this what is already available is not translating in women's uh, lives so then asking ourselves how can we i hope the the internet is still on yeah oh it's no it's good yeah, yeah right here okay so just asking ourselves then what can we do to make sure we are not we are fast tracking and making sure the change happens so once this is done and it's done together with rural women it is not civil society organization sitting in a boardroom in the capital city of Kenya or capital city of Senegal or the capital city of Tanzania or in Morocco is really making sure that the rural women the women in the slums that deal with these large issues on a day to day basis are within that position of di 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 discussion they are in the discussion table and they are also giving their own contribution on what they see happening where they think the gap is and together designing strategies and step that they will commit to do not taking over the role of the duty bearers no it is making sure what kind of advocacy will they do to trigger change how do they hold governments accountable more systematic more effective more really organized and in a collective voice so that the the impact is felt and to trigger change and to trigger change to happen quickly and faster than has happened in the past mm -hmm. so that is what the stand for halad campaign does and so often you will have members of the, the rural women the women living in the slums uh, going to the offices in an organized way in a more prepared way in a way that they have systematized the message they want to give and they go and meet the minister and they will tell the minister in the last 10 years we've seen our government put this policy 1 2 3 and we are very happy about it we've seen that the institutions have been have been put in place to make sure the administration and the governance of lad in our country is proper but we don't think that those institutions are operating they are too largely male dominated the women's voice is not there and our constitutions talk like for example in Kenya it says not one single gender can sit in one space when there are two that of them 
It cannot be over two that of them cannot sit. But then you find in some of these institutions, you find it is 90% men and perhaps 10% women, and that is not the law. And so you need to keep holding the government accountable. Also, some of these, uh, so for you to sit in the large board, sometimes the, the way the large boards are set is to say you must prove that you own lard in a particular community for you to sit in a large board in that community. Now, we live in a highly patriarchal society where all lad is passed through the male children in our family. So my father will inherit lad. It is the grandfather who inherited. It is my brothers who will inherit. It's my sons who will inherit. So if you keep saying that only you need to show that you own land in a community for you to sit in the land board, meaning that women, we will never, because we do not own titles. So basically making sure that there is this life-threatening uh, practices and, 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 and regulations that are not playing out to the advancement of the women. And so the women will go there and they will say, we are going to remove this rule and they will get the cabinet secretary or the minister to remove that rule. And we have seen it removing. But, and that is the power of the Stand for Halat campaign because the Stand for Halat campaign invests in making sure that these women together, they get the courage to do this. If you have only one woman, they're not going to, uh, to, 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 to tell anything to a minister. But if a minister sees that 20 women who carefully are able to reflect on what policy and the practice, and they know for sure what needs to change. You're not going to, to ignore them. You're not going to, because they're coming with facts on the table. But because these are not people who've gone to school, majority of them may never have gone to school. So there's a lot of empowerment, a lot of training, a lot of education. It's a lot of investment mm -hmm. to get them to that level. And that's why the Start for Art campaign really is such a powerful vehicle to transform uh, governance of uh, lad in our countries and communities. That's amazing. And do you find where you are in Kenya that most government, when 20 women do approach a minister or somebody in that role, that they are they're usually open to hearing about it? Or do yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, oh, absolutely. That's great. They don't even wait. In fact, well, like when well, many years ago, uh, most of the intelligence always used to look at places where you are organizing communities. You know, like the way Obama says mm -hmm. that he spent all so much his time organizing. Mm -hmm. It is what many politicians fear. Many politicians fear people who are organized because if they are organized, they know that they have the power. Otherwise, people living in poverty by themselves, they are very weak. But if they use the power of numbers, they are stronger than those ministers. And that is what many development agencies haven't realized because they always think this is a waste of time. They want you to show how many houses you build. They want to show how much land you bought, but they don't realize that the biggest investment that lasts for so long is investing in people to organize themselves, to have the collective voice, and to be able to learn how to communicate effectively and change things. Wow. Yeah. 
that's that's just so important because I feel in in our um, culture we're so quick to rush to things right like we'll like we'll figure it out later let's just do it and let's go for it yeah. and that's just such a smart way to approach it and you you recognize that it obviously takes a lot of time and effort but that effort is so worth it and obviously these campaigns are so important so it just makes so much sense and you can really apply that to so many other facts in your life and, and just in culture. Even the approach you talked about where they're organized, but organized with a message that is shaped with positivity on its surface. It's yeah. not coming in a, you did this, you're bad at this. It's a, this is really good, Yeah. but yes. we need to take a deeper look beyond the policy into the practice and what's happening on the ground to support what it's supposed to be and how can we work together? And yeah. I, I would, I would suspect when 20 women show up to a minister's office, part of the message is you can be a hero. If you listen to us here, you're going to be a very respected minister. If you take our message seriously. Yeah. So they do. that's great. They do. Yeah. They really do. They really do. But, but I think uh, that's also for me, it's a principle in life. It's a principle in life. If you want to unearth problem and the weakness of the people, you will find it. But if you actually look at the stronger part of every individual is their positive part. But as human beings, we are looking at the weakness of the other person. Mm -hmm. So, and sometimes I, I mean, I, I think there are a lot of corrupt government officials a lot of them, I will say that, but I'll tell you there are many that just because they do not work in an environment that allows for change, the minute they get a group that helps to work with them to change, it just triggers and they'll run with it. And, and in addition to saying this has worked, these women come with examples of the small things that they have done themselves. So if, the, if they will say that, you know, uh, land is very difficult to buy and women don't have money, they won't come to say that, but they will say, as members of this group, we are 20 of us, we've been saving and putting 100 shillings every month. In the last five years, we've been able to buy 10 acres of land or two acres of land or one acre of lard. And what has happened is that within that one acre of lard, each of us now own a two bedroom house. We no longer live in the slums. We move out of the slums. We are living in a, in a lard that we are secure. Each of us has a decent house. We are just 20 of us. Can you imagine as a government, if you empowered 20 more and 20 more and 20 more, and, and, and you are empowering people who are already organized, it means as a government, you deal with the big slums that are emerging much quickly than you sitting in the boardrooms and, and designing how you will evict the people living in the slums. Yeah. Because we are showing you we can organize ourselves. We are moving out of the slums. And we are moving out of the slums in a sustainable way because we are moving knowing we have a secure house 
for our children and for ourselves. So it's both uh, really understanding the environment and the policy environment and the legal framework, but also being able to articulate you, what is it that you as grassroots women you've brought in there on the table? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's tangible progress that they can show. This isn't just theory of imagine what would happen. It is that, but it's showing it based on fact, like you said, which is yeah. amazing. And it opens up doors. And I know even in Canada, when you're talking about owning a home and how it opens doors to other opportunities, um, you know, and, and other ideas around employment and, and just equality in general, like it's just, it's not only the land, it's so much more than that, which is yeah. so important. And I would imagine in areas like um, you are that it probably has so much more of an impact. Do you find that you get most women are open to to learning and to, and to wanting to make that change? Or do you find that some have a little bit of pushback in terms of, well, it's like, you know, just hopelessness in, in a way, just based on their past experience? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, uh, uh, poverty dehumanizes people. Yeah. It's highly dehumanizing. Mm -hmm. And if you don't realize that the reason why somebody will take, uh, which will, will take slow steps before they jump into an opportunity you're showing off, you, real, you don't realize that they're already dehumanized by poverty. It, it then becomes uh, becomes very difficult to move forward. So you, you have to have many strategies. And because women are not homogeneous, so like in my life, what I've always done is been able to make sure that every need of the woman is put on the table. But realizing that while all these women are leaders in their own, even the one who doesn't talk at all in a meeting, she has a leadership skill and capacity. Once you realize that, but you realize there are also ones that are focal. You realize there's one who will get the message very quickly. And if you show them the benefit of collective and not uh, individual, they spend so much time after you've left to keep naturally the other voices that is weaker than them. And so you end up having one woman pulling the other one. In fact, we call them in my, in my former organization, we call them uh, champions for transformative development. They're the champions for transforming the development. It is not because they are much more intelligent than the ones that will move slowly. It's just because we, as human beings, we are very different. Uh, and, and the kind of life we've gone through, others are so violated in their lifetime. They are violated when they were growing up in the community. Some of them are battered every day by their spouses and their partners. Some of them, they have lost, like in the slums, they have lost three, four children from drugs, from, uh, from murder. So already they have so much weighing on their shoulders that by, they, they won't take the steps uh, in the same way with other women and then by nature most of us deal with issues differently there are some just getting to engage with the communities and running with a job like this it is a therapy and so they will run very fast and it helps them to get over with their 
issues. So I think we, we take cognizance of that different. And yes, we do. In fact, for many years, the, the pushback was also from the spouses, the male spouses themselves. Because there was always, uh, and it's good that we are talking about Beijing, because uh, many, there was a, a very bad uh, image of the Beijing conference when we came back. And most men were indoctrinated to imagine that when we men went to, women went to Beijing to come and sit on the men. So, and, and so any woman who speaks out herself, any man, woman who is really hardworking and pushing for transformation, uh, she would be told, see, she went to Beijing. So it's like, it's a negative connotation. And so because of that, there are women who do not want to be labeled. Yeah. And, and some men wouldn't want even their spouses to go to this uh, meeting because they say, oh, now she will start leading in my homestead. I will not have a voice in my house. She'll be telling me to do everything. She has to stay uh, at home. The women are supposed to stay at home. So those are the kind of, um, and, and they're still real even today. Yeah? They are they're very, very real. And like I said, a government is very scared of, uh, especially governments that are not progressive. And I don't think many politicians are progressive all over the world. They are not. They need to be held accountable. I don't think Trudin is uh, progressive. Just he needs to be held accountable. They don't like very powerful communities. They, they would like where they can step and move very fast. But, so they care like less of organizing. So there are so many pushback. But I, I don't think that's something to, to, to care about. And, and I mean, if you think about where the world has come from. I mean, there are many people who are behind us. I mean, who are before us that fought many challenges. I mean, we are fighting little challenges and fewer challenges and that gives me hope. Eh? When I remember someone like Professor Wangari Mathai, the kind of uh, challenge she had to fight to be able to make sure that this country recognized the nexus between development and environment and just planting the tree. Like she was beaten, she shed her, her blood. So I think we, our challenges are less, they are less, right. yeah. So do you, go out and recruit women to like from these rural communities or are they all coming to you because it's such a powerful cause and they've heard about what you're doing and they want to be part of these women who can help be part of the voice or is it both do you go out and find people and well, well i i think um uh the way the stand for halab campaign is actually more people more countries asking to join Great. But like I said, the problem is you're talking about organizing. Many people don't want pay for organizing. People want to give me this outcome. One, two, three, four. Please don't tell me how you get there. I want the outcome. And people don't want to invest in this process of empowerment. So I would say the Stand for Allah campaign, the biggest um, challenge is to convince even the very wealthy donors that this process is really what will take transformation. And I bet also that because I've come from that sector of doing this work for before I came here, I had done it 23 years on the ground. And I, I'm sure that's why they say that like it's easier for me because this is what I've done forever. And soon I hope it will, uh, it, it will get into people's uh, 
priorities and, and, and recognize this is important. If you think about uh, how far we have come, there are six co action coalitions that are being discussed this year by the global world to fast track gender equality and women's empowerment. So, and this is what is going to be launched by the UN Women on Monday. And they are going to launch these Brooklyn's. And these Brooklyn's are supposed to be helping us to fast track gender equality and women's empowerment so that by the time we get to 2030 agenda or in 10 years, that we can fulfill all the targets we have laid for ourselves. And so there are six action coalitions that have been organized to, to, to develop these blueprints. One is economic justice and rights. The other one is action coalitions on, on climate change. The other one is on gender-based violence. The other one is on uh, bodily autonomy. The other one is on digital technology. And the other one is on movement building. And I want to stay on the movement building. In the past, if you asked any donor to put any money in movement building, they would say, what does that mean? But if you think the world now is saying, let's prioritize movement building, and movement building is all the things that I've explained, because setting these national uh, coalitions is really movement building, movement of people that can be able to talk. So meaning we have come so far. And it is my hope that the gains of this may trickle into, the, into financing uh, Stand for Halat campaign and other initiatives that do this work so that it becomes easier to do this work. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, I'm very positive, I'm hopeful that uh, <laughs> change is coming. It's not coming as fast as we always anticipated, but I'm keeping my hope very high. Yeah, no, that's great. So how can we help? We're in Canada. Um, you know, we've got, we've got an audience and we've got, you know, a lot of real estate agents who obviously have an investment and an understanding of how important it is to own homes, to own land. Um, so I know that you have an amazing website uh, that people can go to. There's an opportunity to donate. Is that the best way for, for everybody to kind of start having an involvement? And help? Yes, yes, yes. It's the best way to go to the website. Uh, there is all the information there. And we are always open to offer information. We, are very, we, we have a steering committee that meets every month religiously. The institutional framework is well set and it is clearly is not a one organization's outfit. It, like you had, I'm from International Ad Coalition. The secretariat is it at Ladesa. So we, we are all there like making sure that every single coin that is raised doesn't come to, 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 to support our organizations, but goes straight to empower the women. Because this is what we know. Our organizations have the capacity to raise money to do whatever is in their program. 
what we have not been able to do as organization, as one organization, is to raise resources that will build this movement of rural women, of slum women, of grassroots women, of women advocates to help really bridge this policy gap and the practice. So yes, and, 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 and of course, uh, we've been talking a lot on uh, the best way to now start working with the private sector. And, and we haven't actually um, figured how to do it because most of us come from really development work. And it, when I saw your email, it was like, I wrote to my colleague and I said, oh my God, we now have the private sector talking to us mm -hmm. because we look at you as the private sector. And so for me, it just gives me even much more hope. The private sector, the wealth, because real estate is a wealth sector. And the real wealth estate, I'm sure, comprises and is led by individuals themselves who've actualized in the kind of houses. I am sure I wouldn't be building houses for people to buy or land if me, I'm staying in a bad house. I can't be staying in the slum. But the fact that the, the majority of them, I assume, live in decent houses, they understand what it is to have, to have control of the title that they own. They understand what it means to have a toilet inside a house. They understand what to have lighting. They understand what it is not to be evicted from a house. I think it's, it's good and honoring to know they can lend a hand to other women who may not be able to get that, but who already would be organized. You are not starting from scratch. We are doing all the dirty work of organizing, of making sure that we, 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 we empower them, we enhance their voice that we are willing to do. So I think it's a mutual partnership that I believe would be fulfilling to both yourself and ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, we're, and we're going to share the website and all the information with this recording. And I just want to say as a symbol, since we started this, this video, for people who are listening, they can't see, but the sun has been getting brighter and brighter on you <laughs> since we started. And I think that that's a symbol of your movement. And it just has such bright days ahead. You've been doing amazing things for over 20 years as an yeah. individual um, you. Your organization has such an important cause now more than ever. It's fitting that it's International Women's Day to yeah. talk about it on our end, but this is something that doesn't start and end with one day of the year or one moment in time. This is such an important cause that um, I'm really happy we got to speak. If you do want to share all the information about how people can get in touch with you here, um, we will share it. But for people yeah. who are listening and driving their cars right now, at least maybe they'll play this back over and over again so that they can come and visit and, and learn more, but. Yeah. So uh, I would say again, the Stand for Halad campaign website yeah. is uh, one way to find us, but also um, I'm always on social media. Uh, so I, I do a bit of Facebooking, not as much, <laughs> but uh, I'm on Facebook. If you find, you go to the Gogo and find Esther Moira Moiro. You read about the work that I have done, but you'll also find me in the International Lad Coalition uh, website as a staff of the International Lad Coalition. But my phone number, and you can get me on WhatsApp anytime, 
If people use WhatsApp, yes, we do. yes, we do. We do. <laughs> it is plus two five four seven two four four three eight zero eight two, and you can always find me on email and reach out and ask for additional information on e capital e dot m u i r u at ladcoalition.org fantastic that's great okay so i have one more question for you yes what advice would you give to young girls today um growing up what one piece of advice do you think you could share um that would inspire because i know you're so inspirational so <laughs> if you could choose just one piece of advice what would it be I think follow your heart. Love follow that. your heart. If you follow your heart, you will get into a career that that career will be so fulfilling. Mm. Don't follow the money. The money is good, but follow your heart. I was admitted at the university to do double maths, but I always knew I wanted to work with people living in poverty. And I moved from a science course to go and do sociology. I have never regretted. If I were to start all over again, I would do that. Mm. So follow your heart, follow what your heart tells you, this is what you want to do. But always remember, it's better to serve than to be served. So whatever career you take, if you think of a career that serves others, you'll be so much happy in life. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's amazing. It's a That's perfect awesome. way to end it off. That's awesome. That might be the best closing this show has ever had. I know. We always botch the closing. Yeah. <laughs> but not today. Not today. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Esther. Thank you so much for your time. And we'll make sure to share all of your information and, uh, and we'll be in touch as well because we want to continue the relationship. So thank you. Thank you very much. It's my big delight to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for giving this opportunity to the Stand for Halat campaign. You're welcome. Our pleasure. All right. Take care. <laughs> thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Level up, 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 level up,